Brick Moon Fiction presents The Days of Gregor Spheris by Eric Del Carlo, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. Everybody hated Gregor Spheris. I could barely remember a time when I hadn't hated him. I'd known him so long, since I was a kid. That was the amount of my life I had been in the Enclave. Maybe it was worse for the oldest of us, the ones who'd lived adult lives in the old world. They remembered it keenly. They perhaps, had lost more. Or it might have been worst of all for the youngest, those who were infants when they came in, or who have been born here. They only know the Enclave, the gruesome sterility of it, with Gregor Spheris hovering over everything. But you won't get me thinking I have it better than any others. My pain is real, and all-consuming. The Enclave is maddening, a place of brutal sameness and endless repetition. Only Gregor Spheris punctuates the recurrences, and I hate him for it. The car horn penetrated my latest fugue state. Some of us had achieved full-blown catatonia, or else they were just faking it really convincingly. But the steady blat, blat, blat got into my head, until it was the only thing I could hear. Three honks, again and again. That same pitch, that same volume, that exact same pause between each and every set. The honking would keep going until someone went out to meet the car. It would, I had no doubt, go on for eternity, or at least until every last person in the enclave had died out. We've tried not responding to the horn on several occasions. Once we lasted four entire days, but by then we were all halfway out of minds vomiting and crying and screaming, with the blat, blat, blat still going as steadily as when it began. Your turn, Ellis. I blinked. The walls are bright in here. They don't get dirty. They can't be marked. I was sitting. I didn't remember sitting down. It didn't matter. No way, I muttered. It felt like reflex. It seemed like I'd been saying that every time it was my turn. No way, I repeated, because everything was repeated here. Everything had been done before, and it was going to be done and said and thought again and again and again. Get up, Ellis. I heard the menace in the voice. I'd heard it before. She was going to tell me she was sick of my shit. Good. I was sick of my shit, too. I glanced up. I nodded in time to the latest three horn blasts. Then... Trying to be impulsive, I surged to my feet. I stuck my chin out like I was still on a schoolyard. It was Swint who was telling me it was my turn to go out. It's not always Swint who confronts me, but it's her often enough for her presence to curdle my gut. She showed no reaction to my provocative posture, which was still a reaction of sorts. She just stood and glared. She had done so many times before. Others were coming up behind her, vague shapes swimming against the glowing walls, gliding along the unblemished floor. Blat, blat, blat. I could let them force me. I could fight back, but they would overwhelm me in the end. I had forced others to do this thing when it was their turn. I moved toward the portal. It would let one of us through, now that the car had arrived. Early on, people had fought for the privilege of going out, but that was before we all got to know Gregor Spheris. Now it's a worse fate than remaining inside the ruthless sameness of the Enclave, where the hours and years drip like water torture. 
Swint and a couple others followed to make sure I went. Now that I was in motion, I just kept on going. The portal parted for me, and I stepped out of the enclave. Gregor Spheris stopped honking when he saw me. He waved, grinned, and motioned me toward the car. It was the same car. It's always the same goddamn car. I looked out at the devastation. It's a horrible sight, or at least it was for a long, long time. We all recognized the city where we had lived. Now it was a twisted, grotesque ruin, burned and blasted and melted. But it, at least, changed. It was a slow erosion, a process of natural decay. It's no doubt a poisonous atmosphere, but there are weather patterns. Rains wash things away, bit by bit. The winds rise and scour, then retreat. The ruins disintegrate at an incremental rate, but it's something. It's change. I can remember the city being alive. I remember it as a boy perceives things, full of exaggeration, misinterpretation, warped perspectives. Once I laughed, I ran, and I played. And it was on those blistered and broken streets. So I thought my sister was actually trying to be nice, but instead... Gregor was up to his sister. I hated Gregor's sister. Some among the Enclave believed he hated her, too. They parsed this part of his ongoing motormouth commentary, attempting to deduce, assigning values to the woman who was once Gregor Spheris's sibling. I had long ago stopped trying to squeeze anything from his words. That, of course, did nothing to stop them coming. There were pauses which occurred, as unvarying as the rest of the discourse. Sometimes he asked a question, and held off as if a brief answer had been supplied. Then he jumped back in with his fatuous runaway babbling. It wasn't necessary to say anything back to him. I felt that whoever had once been in this automobile, along on this dreadful ride with him, had likely also felt it unnecessary to respond in any meaningful fashion. I have never been on a date. I wasn't even old enough to have had a crush on anyone before I entered the Enclave. But I had seen other people who were romantically involved when I was that young, and some of the older people inside talked about the old social customs and what courting and dating were like. There are alliances in the Enclave, the sexual partnerships. Some last. Some are loud and violent. Everybody on some level was tired of everybody else. The ones who claimed to know said we couldn't even keep the species going, despite the fact that several babies had been born inside. Our gene pool isn't big enough. We're headed for extinction. If our enclave is the only one, if there isn't anything beyond the devastation we see when we go out in Gregor's car. It used to be that half the time I believed the world was still out there functioning in some way, and the rest of the time I entertained the worst-case scenario, where it's just us and no other survivors. Now I don't even think about it with any mental vigor. My brain was turning to mush. I had my fugue states, where thoughts slowed to almost nil, where I stopped worrying or caring or wanting to live. Maybe it was the only way out, other than refusing to eat. We had no utensils, nothing with which to fashion an edged implement, and no one had yet succeeded in smashing their own skulls open on the floors or walls. Or maybe a cooking class? Something where I'm around cheerful people. Gregor Spheris's litany. It was a shapeless mass of verbiage, 
someone talking who either didn't know how or was too nervous to shut up. He touched on all the minutiae of his life. I hated his life. I hated him. We all did. I'd been looking at the scenery, trying to rouse myself on some level with the sight of change. Any change. The ruins did indeed appear minutely more ruined than the last time I had taken this spin in the car. But today even that failed to spark any real interest. We had long since figured out where the enclave was located, though none of us had a clear memory of how we'd initially reached it. It was situated in the Danforth Heights neighborhood, encompassing approximately a single city block. Some said it was the 1800 block of Mullins Way. Others had slightly different coordinates. Much debate ensued about this. There was debate, discussion, and argument about everything. That was because all we had was an oral tradition. There were no materials with which to write down anything. You couldn't even draw on the walls in your own blood or shit. People had tried. The walls absorbed any impurities without a trace. I had been taught by voices. Some of the adults had thought it a sacred duty to pass down education. But it was damn near impossible to have somebody just tell you about geometry. At least I had a good vocabulary. All that talking. All those words. Words. Gregor's words were still droning on. I knew everything he would say. Every hesitation, every intonation. It was all so fantastically petty. He spoke about the old world, the gone world, as he drove the car through the rubble. It was always the same course, a way that stayed magically clear, allowing passage. How would these words sound to the next generation? I wondered, not for the first time. I hadn't wondered anything for the first time in quite a very long goddamn while. Gregor Spheris's banal monologue might be next to incomprehensible for the most recently born of us. We could try to teach the children what the world used to be like, but there were so many details, so much background information necessary for full understanding. I'd only been a boy when I found myself in the Enclave, but at least I possessed some grounding in the reality which Gregor was referencing. I turned to look at him. He was a male, in his early thirties. He was a gawky-looking specimen. His clothes weren't a good fit on him. He had lots of nervous habits, tapping his fingers on the steering wheel, straightening his tie, tugging repeatedly on his right earlobe. I'd caught him just when he was offering that overbite smile, seconds before he got to the, but I wanted the red one, so I took it back to the store and, segment. We had tried to kill him, naturally but he was impervious. He wasn't flesh and blood. His body was made of some supremely resilient substance. You could hit him, tear at him, pull on him. He just snapped back into his original position, unharmed and uninterrupted. There was no commandeering the car, either. Its controls responded only to him. Once you heard the honking and went through the Enclave's portal, the protective bubble that held off the toxic air outside only allowed you to enter the vehicle. Then it kept you sealed in the car, unable to open the doors. Gregor was more maddening than the Enclave itself. The Enclave oozed food goo from spigots, eliminated our wastes, and sheltered us from the devastation outside. It provided no entertainments or distractions whatsoever. But at least it was a static sort of torture. On the other hand, Gregor Spheris, or his facsimile, was an active factor. 
He visited us many times daily, and he spoke. He had to have been created for a reason, and his only logical purpose must be to communicate with us. He had to be the liaison. He was the envoy for whatever force had spared us from our city's destruction and ensconced us in the enclave. But he just said these same things over and over and over. A tiresome scene from a bad romantic engagement. He was the date from hell. I remember two adult women saying that when we first arrived. I was too young to understand. Now I grasped it, but only in the abstract. I'll never get the chance to become romantically involved with anybody, not in the way such things were possible in the old world. And of course we had tried everything to commune with him. We'd pleaded, we'd threatened, we had recited complex mathematical formulas and quoted him poetry. We had tried directly and specifically responding to his comments, but he stayed on whatever script he was working from. He was programmed for this, plainly. This scene had almost certainly played out just like this in the previous world. It had somehow been lifted out wholly and was now being recreated day after day. Gregor Spherus would pull up in his car, honk three times, and introduce himself by name to whoever came out to meet him. He would do this forever, it seemed. Who was controlling all this? Who ran the show? Who had created the enclave and picked us to go inside it? Aliens? Extra-dimensional travelers? Had our artificial intelligence suddenly become sentient and orchestrated all this? And there were questions that were even more alarming, ones we had debated and pondered for years. Had the outside force, whatever it was, caused the destruction? Was this all a deliberate experiment? But again, I was almost past caring about any of it. One day my fugue state was going to turn into proper catatonia, and I would slip away into the final gray null. Then, if nobody fed me, I would just expire. That didn't sound too bad. I was still looking at him, which made no difference in his words or gestures. This had been a person once, I thought, but it was an old, old thought. Flexing in my mind like a spasmodic jerk, Gregor Spherus could not have been created from whole cloth. He was too specific, too detailed. He must have lived. No one knew him from the old world, but it had been a very big city. Now he was a marionette, an automaton, playing in an endless loop. And he had elicited the bone-weary hatred of the nearly fifty strangers in the enclave. Did he deserve that, really? Was Gregor Spherus, the real Gregor Spherus, actually so very awful. I worked the front desk for three months, but right away I had my doubts about blather, banality, the trivialities of the anxious man. Who had been in this car with him so long ago? It was yet another question reduced to miry senselessness by reiteration. He never addresses the other person directly. We swung through the long curve. This had been Tabitha Boulevard once upon a time. The ride was nearly over. We had come around in a lengthy circle, returning to the starting point. It was how everything went. Circular, turning in on itself. A snail's shell. Dragon eats its own tail. The fugue state, reaching soft, colorless fingers into my skull. We pulled up before the immaculate, glowing structure of the enclave. 
the force bubble would now let me open my door and return within. Gregor said his last words, the same last words every time. I had responded and not responded to him a thousand different ways. Today I did this. I said, without the least premeditation, Thanks for a good time, Gregor. I leaned over and kissed him on the mouth. I felt his pliable knot-flesh press against my lips. Then I added, Would you like to come inside? His eyes flickered. They moved in a way that they did not do, in a manner which they had never moved before. Even the tiniest variation was instantaneously noticeable, a glaring anomaly, a shrieking deviation. His eyes had flickered. My heart froze. At the same time, white-hot energy burned away the fogs of the fugue. Something was different, in this place where nothing was ever different. I, he said, and the syllable was the deafening blare of angel trumpets, for he had never said I before at this point. And there was more to come, and continued, would love to come inside. Thank you. With shaking hands, I opened my door. I looked back frantically and saw him work the lever on his side as he had never done before this moment. He stepped out. I had never realized how tall he was. He smiled his overbite smile. It must be some alien force running all this. Not necessarily extraterrestrial, mind you, but some other type of intelligence. Fantastically advanced. But that's its own disadvantage. I remember I would meow at my kitty cat when I was a little boy, and it would look at me with measured incomprehension. Gregor Spheris had been the overture all this time, the first salvo of greeting. He'd surely been picked at random, his pattern recreated and sent to interact with us. He was waiting for one particular reply. We had tried everything to respond to him, except that we hadn't tried everything, until now. He came around the car. I didn't know if the bubble protected him or if he even needed protecting. I put out my hand to him, enacting this ritual I had never experienced before. Gregor hesitated a moment, then took my hand. I led him into the enclave, meaning to introduce him to everyone. Eric Del Carlo has been selling his fiction for over two decades. His short stories have appeared in Asimov's, Strange Horizons, and many, many other venues. His novels, both solo and collaborative, have been published by Ace Books, Dark Star Books, Loose Id, and other houses. His latest book is The Golden Gate is Empty, written with his father, Vic Del Carlo. It's currently available from White Cat Publishing. Eric is a native Californian and a Hurricane Katrina refugee. Find him on Facebook for comments and questions. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.